0: Matthew, chapter seven, Matthew, chapter seven, as we continue our verse by verse exposition of this wonderful gospel, beginning in verse 13. So may I draw your attention to verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it by way of introduction. Again, we find ourselves in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Thus far, he has contrasted in a variety of ways, two very different kingdoms, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. He has shown us the. Contrast between those who believe in divine truth versus those that are suckered by human deception. He has exposed the difference between internal religion and an external religion of hypocrisy. He has exposed kingdom citizens who truly possess genuine saving faith. Versus those who don't, those who come to salvation by God's grace alone versus those who would try to add to it some kind of a works righteousness system and on and on it goes. In fact, Jesus describes true worshipers all throughout his sermon. And as we have seen this description, we have seen that what he has said is radically different than what that culture understood. And I would submit to you. That it is radically different than our culture today, even in many cases, our evangelical culture. Very few people would have a testimony of how they came to Christ that would even use the same terms that Jesus would use, for example, in Matthew five, where they would say, yes, I came to Christ poor in spirit. I was mourning over my sin and i humbled myself before the lord and he saved me he transformed me and now i am hungering and thirsting after righteousness and now i see the world through eyes the eyes of mercy and i have a longing to be a peacemaker to help men and women make peace with god and i am persevering even under the greatest of persecution you see that's not what you hear with most people that profess christ today However, what the Lord is telling us in his Sermon on the Mount, especially in this passage, is literally, how do you enter the kingdom of God? And once again, what he says is a radical departure from the religious community of thought of that day, a message that was very unpopular, so unpopular that they crucified him. And likewise, I would say that more and more. Evangelical churches that are at least ostensibly evangelical do not understand what we are about to discern from this text. You will not hear what I'm about to tell you, what this text says in the typical tent revival meeting. You will hear a very distorted perspective of how you enter the kingdom. I would even go so far as to say, especially in our southern evangelical circles with its doctrinal ignorance and superficial spirituality, that many people are utterly blind to the devastating error that is perpetuated in the emotional revivals and some of these types of things, all of the altar calls, invitations. To a distorted gospel that bears, frankly, very little resemblance to the gospel of Christ. Sometimes what I fear happens is there is what some would call a cheap grace that is offered. Very easy to kind of come into the kingdom. Just walk that aisle. Just say a little prayer. Just raise your hand. You know, after 14 verses of just as I am and the endless pleading of of often a misguided and desperate priest preacher, naive and well intentioned people will will come forward or make all kinds of promises as they finally succumb to the emotional harangue. But the question is, did they really, really enter the kingdom? In some cases, yes. In other cases, historically, we have seen that the answer is no. And beloved, what you were about to hear from the words of the Lord will expose the enormous danger of all of this. Very few people who supposedly come to Christ in the various manners that are typical of our culture. Uh, very few of them ever persevere in the faith. Because I fear that their faith was a dead faith. Many people profess Christ, but they do not possess him. That's why the Lord said in Matthew seven that many will call me Lord, but not everybody that calls me Lord will enter the kingdom. So with this in mind, I draw your attention to the contrast that we see in this text and all through the sermon. We're going to see two options that Jesus draws our attention to this morning. We're going to see that we have a choice. There are two gates, the narrow and the wide. There are two ways, the narrow and the broad. And those two ways lead to two destinations, to life or to destruction. There are two groups of people, the few and the many. And as we go beyond the text that we have before us today, we will see that There are two kinds of trees, the good and the bad, producing two kinds of fruit, good and bad. And there are two kinds of people, the Lord will tell us, who confess him as Christ, the sincere and the false. There are two kinds of spiritual builders, those that are wise and those that are foolish. And there are two kinds of religious foundations, one that's built on the rock and the other on sand, And two kinds of houses of faith. The one that will stand the storms of final judgment versus the one that will collapse in a heap of eternal disappointment. But we read about the first four of these eternally profound contrasts, four options that we must discern here in the text before us two gates, two ways, two destinations, and two groups of people. Let's look first of all at the two gates. Jesus says, Enter. Through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction Two gates, the narrow and the wide, both of which will say this way to heaven. But only one is going to take you there. Which one will it be? Well, Jesus tells us he in the grammar would even command us clearly which one to choose. He says, enter through the narrow gate. Narrow, Greek term stenos, we get our word stenography from that, which refers to writing that is abbreviated or constricted. So stenos here can be translated narrow, enter through the narrow or enter through the restrictive gate, the compressed gate. By the way, that comes from a root word that means to groan. This is the gate of conversion, dear friends. It's one does It's one that does not allow people to enter with ease. Jesus is saying, come to this gate that is constricted. You can't bring your baggage of self-righteousness with you. You've got to be utterly dependent solely upon me. You can't bring other people with you. There will be an intense pressure resulting from a conscious choice to enter this gate. There will be a determined, purposeful decision that will require strenuous effort. In fact, in Luke 13, Jesus was asked, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? To which he answered, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. There, the term strive is a term agonizomai. You can tell from the Greek what our word would be. It's to agonize. And and it's a word that was used to describe what it was like to engage in an athletic contest that would require great training and great intensity. It's the idea of exhausting effort. Beloved, this is the gate of conversion. This is the gate of salvation, a gate that requires one to strive to enter. Now, this is absolutely foreign to contemporary evangelicalism. Where now we have churches that do everything they can to jettison anything that might be offensive to people who need to come through that gate. Instead, what we do is open up the gate wide so that you can bring all your baggage with you. Let's don't talk about sin or repentance. In fact, let's create a service environment where people who are blind to the gospel of Christ who, according to Scripture, think that all of that is foolishness. Let's make it comfortable for them to come. Certainly, we want to be loving and we want to be inviting. But friends, we cannot compromise the truth because there is but one gate that will lead ultimately to heaven. This is a gate where a man or a woman is overwhelmed with the wretchedness of his sin. A gate where a person understands that they have violated God's law. And a person, therefore, would agree with God's holy and just verdict that you were guilty. And then seeing the sword of divine justice looming above their head, this person would desire to flee from the wrath to come and would cry out like the publican and beat his breast and say, Oh, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. This is the narrow gate. A gate of brokenness over sin, a gate where we confess our spiritual bankruptcy, where we recognize that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, a gate of self-denial. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for, who, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 16. You see, friends, this is a gate that counts the cost of discipleship. A gate where a person that enters it is willing to take up a cross. To live a life of following Christ, even if it costs them their life. This is a gate where we must discard self-will and abandon self-righteousness. And jettison selfish ambitions and make Jesus the Lord of our life. This is a gate that requires us to hate our former self and long to be like Christ. You see, friends, this is the gospel of Jesus. This is a gate where one recognizes the truth of Acts 4.12 where we read, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You see, this is a gate that understands the exclusivity of the gospel of Christ, that Jesus is the only way, unlike the religious correctness of our day, that would say that everybody, even if you believe in some other God, is still worshiping the same God. This is not the gate of the gospel of Christ. Indeed, verse 14B tells us that very few people will choose this gate. They would prefer option B. Remember, we used to have that commercial hamburger A or hamburger B. And the person would always pick the wrong one. And you would just, oh, that's what comes to my mind here. This is a very different kind of a gate. This is the wide gate. This would be the deceptive option that deceptively offers the destination of eternal life. Wide here in this text is used to be contrasted with the term narrow. The idea here is that of a roomy, a wide, a spacious and inclusive and attractive gate. No need for any striving here. No need for purposeful, conscious, strenuous effort, for groaning, for crying out for mercy. You see, this is the easy way. All you've got to do to make it practical here, all you've got to do is just Oh, maybe walk an aisle, pray a prayer, join a church, maybe give a little money, kind of add Christianity to your resume, but certainly don't feel like you need to confess sin or go through all of that silly stuff. You're not that bad. You don't really need to change your lifestyle. You can bring all of your baggage with you. In fact, if you come through this gate, Jesus is going to make you healthy, wealthy and wise. All you need to do is maybe just get baptized or attach yourself to some denomination, perform some ritual, confess some creed. It doesn't matter which one. You see, there's room for everyone in this gate. There is nothing restrictive here. No discrimination here with this gate. Any religion is okay because after all, we all worship the same God. There was an article recently in the L.A. Times where Fuller Seminary in California which was once a fundamental evangelical seminary, recently received a $1 million grant from the federal government to assist them in their new quest for reconciliation between Christianity and Islam. In fact, they believe, the the article says, that we all worship the same God. That no longer do they believe it is appropriate to evangelize Muslims. You see, friends, this is the broad gate that leads to destruction. The truth is, Muslims worship Satan. They do not worship God. And I've explained to you the roots of Islam before, and I'll not take time to do that. But quite frankly, Fuller Seminary, which has embraced theological liberalism for years, has made a pact with the devil. A certain proof of their apostasy. That's the broad gate mentality. Well, not only do we have two gates, optional gates of conversion and salvation, which frankly would be the issue of how we become justified, how we have the imputed righteousness given to us, but we also have optional ways. There are two ways, and this is how we live after we enter the gate. This is would be the this would be the issue of our sanctification. Again, in these verses, we see enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. It goes on to say that uh, in verse 14, the the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. So here Jesus contrasts two paths which both claim to lead to heaven. A broad way that leads to destruction versus the narrow way that leads to life. Here again, we learn that the narrow gate of conversion will result in a narrow way of living. Notice the term narrow in verse 14 here. It's interesting. Jesus does not use the same term stenos as he did in verse 13, but he uses another term that means to press upon or to crowd or to squeeze into or or literally to constrict. In fact, this same term is used in Romans 2 and verse 9 by the Apostle Paul, where he combines Both terms that the Lord has used for narrow in verse 13 and in verse 14. And those terms are translated tribulation and anguish. So you begin to see here that the narrow way is one of tribulation. It's one of anguish. It's one that will be fraught with suffering and persecution. You see, when one is truly converted and declares Jesus as Lord, he also declares war with the world. Scripture is very clear about that. That's why when we invite people to come to Christ and enter through the narrow gate, we always want them to count the cost, as our Lord said. You see, to enter the narrow gate may cost you everything, even your life. Jesus said in John 15, beginning in verse 19, because you are not of the world, talking to believers, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. So if they persecuted me, they will also persecute, persecute you. And in John sixteen thirty three he says, in the world you will have tribulation. And yet we can still all rejoice, can't we? Because of so many texts, 2 Corinthians four seventeen, the Apostle Paul reminds us that This momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So we have a narrow gate with a narrow way that proceeds from it. But that narrow way means that we are now at war with Satan, who is the God, small g, of this world. That's why we are to wear the full armor of God. And we're also experiencing a war because the lust of our flesh are at enmity, at war with the Holy Spirit that indwells us, according to Galatians 5. So the Broadway here knows nothing of any of this battle. Live any way you want, as long as you obey some legalistic standard contrived by man. That's the way the Jews would do it and many other religions of the world today. Or as long as you go to the priest and confess your sins and go to mass regularly, then you can, you know, live any way you want. Or you can let the eternal destiny of your soul rely solely upon some past event, as many people do in our evangelical circles. When they kind of did the cultural thing and came to Jesus, where they repeated some prayer, or maybe got baptized. No need to worry about the way you walk after that. You've already got your fire insurance. You've gotten saved. See, that's the broad way. Now, that's not to say that many people don't come to Christ in that way. Don't hear me say that. But many people kind of sign up for the whole deal and then forget about it and live any way they want. By the way, a certain mark of a Broadway church will be two things. Number one, weak preaching and teaching of Bible doctrine. And secondly, a failure to discipline sin. You see those two things in a church and you've got a Broadway church. And by the way, when I say weak preaching and teaching, almost everybody will say, oh, our preacher teaches and preaches. And many of them do. Please don't hear me say that that I'm in any way the only one. I fear that I'm woefully inadequate at it at best. But beloved, the idea of preaching and teaching is really measured by the spiritual growth of the people. So once again, if the people aren't learning, if they aren't growing, if their lives aren't becoming increasingly more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a weakness in the pulpit. I've seen churches like this. I've been in them where people believe anything and everything. This is the Broadway church. It's kind of like the Outback Steakhouse. No rules, just right. That's the way people feel. I, I've, I've been in one church where I've watched their youth group over the years. And as I look at them now, it's sad that virtually none of those kids are walking with Christ. You can go down and, and, and make a list of all of those that have been involved in drugs and alcohol. Some of them have been in prison for pushing drugs, several of them. You see rampant immorality, homosexuality. Almost all of the girls got pregnant out of wedlock. Some of them have been divorced several times by now. And yet I know a family that just recently joined that particular church. What was their reason? Well, they wanted something for their kids and they liked the music. Friends, that shows such a profound lack of discernment. And yet that is indicative of the lies that have been perpetuated throughout the years in our evangelical circles. Where no longer do people have any discernment of what a church is. The reality is there is a huge difference between a church and a crowd. If you read your New Testament, very few churches really live consistently with the New Testament standard, preaching a narrow gate in a narrow way. Because when you do that, the result will be endless ridicule and persecution from a world that hates you. And certainly we've experienced that. That's why verse 14 again says there will be very few who find that way. By the way, this is why churches like ours gradually become smaller and fewer. Prophetically, this will be the trend until the Lord returns. You know, while God's way is simple to understand, it is not an easy way. The gift of salvation is free and yet it will cost you everything. For most, coming to Christ on his terms and accepting his free gift of grace in return for total submission is a cost far too high. One that they're not willing to pay. Knowing this, the enemy comes along and our flesh even likes to reinvent ministry, reinvent the church to provide an easier way. A gospel light, if you will, a way that is cheap, a way that is. Easy to sign up. No membership dues. Wear what you want. One of the big slogans of many churches. Believe what you want. Behave like you want. Even bring in music that sound as, sounds as much like the world as possible. Just show up occasionally for church. Give a little bit of money. Maybe help out in the nursery. And you're in. Recently, I was reading some research done by a Christian researcher by the name of George Barna. He did a poll of born-again Christians, and I've gone over some of this before, you, before with you, but I, I, I thought it was worth sharing again and expanding on it briefly. He polled people that called themselves born-again Christians, and that is defined, according to his terms, as those who report having made a personal commitment to Christ and expect to get to heaven because they accepted Jesus. All right, that's the that's the born again. Now, in this poll, we find that 26% of born again, as he calls them, believe all religions are essentially the same. In other words, they believe the wide gate brought broad Broadway deception. Twenty six percent, 50% believe that a life of good works will enable a person to get to heaven. Thirty five percent do not believe Jesus rose physically from the dead. Beloved, again, clearly none of these people understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And unless they repent, they will never enter the kingdom. Fifty two percent do not believe that the Holy Spirit is a living entity. Forty five percent do not believe Satan even exists. Thirty three percent accept same sex unions, the issue of homosexuality. Thirty nine percent believe it is morally acceptable for couples to live together before marriage. And then, this was significant, he said that born-again Christians are more likely than non-Christians to have experienced divorce. Twenty-seven percent to twenty-four percent that are non-believers. Of course, I don't believe that their definition of Christian is accurate. As I've told you before, other research would indicate that those that believe truly the Scriptures, as you would hear from this church, have a likelihood of divorce of one in ten thousand. You see, friends, this is what happens when the church fails to be the pillar in the support of the truth. And when pastors fail to preach the whole counsel of God and preach the word, especially the issue of the narrow gate. You see how important this is. Well, there's two gates, there's two ways, there's also two destinations. The broad way, the text says, leads to destruction. In other words, just follow the crowd. See where the hordes are going. But only the narrow way. The path only a few will tread will lead to life, Jesus says. And by implication, Jesus is saying that both of these ways have a sign out front that say, This way to heaven! But only the narrow way leads home. The broad way leads to destruction, which means total ruin, total loss, and everlasting hell. Now you're about to hear something again that many... Of my pastor friends tell me they would never speak about it in the pulpit because it is so offensive. The beloved Jesus spoke about it so much. The total destruction. It is a place of hell. It is a literal place. There is no such concept as annihilation or or some type of extinction, as some erroneously teach. Beloved, we must never forget the reality of Hell. In second Thessalonians one nine, we read that these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And the prophet Daniel in twelve, verse two, describes the destination of the broad way. He says it is a place of disgrace and everlasting contempt. In Matthew three and verse twelve, we read that these will burn up, that that the Lord will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And in chapter 25, verse 46, we read that it is a place of eternal punishment. In Matthew, chapter eight, and verse 12, we read that the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. This is the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in chapter 25, verse 41, we read that it is a place prepared for the devil and his angels, as well as the lost. And in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10, 10, we read that they, referring to the unbelievers, will be required to drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And finally, we read in Revelation 20 and verse 15 that anyone whose name is not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Dear friend, please hear me. If you've tried to enter the kingdom through the wide gate, and you are now happily traversing some broad way, and you know that there's just all manner of sin in your life, and there's no real love for Christ, and you're embracing this religious tolerance that is so indicative of our culture, I must warn you with utmost sincerity that your destination is hell. And hell is not a place where God capriciously throws a temper tantrum at people He does not like. But rather, hell is a place of torment beyond our ability to even conceive. Where a righteous and a holy God deliberately and with settled determination and with a holy justice pours out His wrath against sin. The wide gate and its broad way will seem so inviting. Dear friend, it will be... A place of unending and unbearable pain. And yet, sadly, it will also be the most popular way to travel. Two gates, two ways, two destinations, and finally, two groups of people. Here are the traveling companions, depending upon which gate you entered and which way you traverse. You'll either be with the few, Jesus says, or with the many. Jesus says in Matthew 22 and verse 14, many are called, but few are chosen. You see, the point there in another text is that the gospel of Christ goes out to many thousands of people. How many people have I seen come here and hear the gospel and never come back again? Yet, Jesus says that mercy will only be granted to a few, to the few who respond in faith believing. Now, while there is no limit to those who can enter through the narrow gate, and no limit to those that can traverse the narrow way and inhabit the glories of heaven, only a few in comparison will truly trust Christ to save them and enter the narrow gate. The many. Is well illustrated by a letter written to a Melbourne, Australia daily newspaper. And I quote the writer. After hearing Dr. Billy Graham on the air, viewing him on television and reading reports and letters concerning him and his mission, I am heartily sick of the type of religion that insists my soul and everyone else's needs saving, whatever that means. I have never felt that I was lost. Nor do I feel that I daily wallow in the mire of sin, although repetitive preaching insists that I do. Give me a practical religion that teaches gentleness and tolerance and acknowledges no barriers of color or creed that remembers the aged and teaches children of goodness and not sin. If in order to save my soul, I must accept such a philosophy as I have recently heard preached, I prefer to remain Forever damned. End quote. What a tragedy. A man that is dead in his trespasses and sins. A man that has been blinded by the enemy of his soul to the glorious gospel of the light of Jesus Christ. A man defiantly treading the broad way that leads to destruction. Beloved, please hear the solemn invitation of the Lord Jesus. He says, enter through the narrow gate. Well, pastor, I think that I have, but I'm I'm not sure. How can I know? Oh, there are so many places we could go in the word of God, but certainly Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 is such a wonderful summary. There we read that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There's the narrow gate. And the text goes on to say, for with the heart, man believes resulting in righteousness. There's the narrow way. Both the imputed righteousness of Christ, as well as the imparted righteousness of Christ, imputed righteousness with our justification, imparted righteousness with respect to our sanctification. And then the text goes on to say, and with the mouth he confesses, which is indicative of the few, not the many. Resulting in salvation. And there's the destination. Beloved, please hear me. And I know this is so horribly offensive to so many people. But I say it with utmost confidence and authority. That the word of God is so very, very clear. Hell will be filled with people who have a visible morality. Show an intellectual knowledge of the gospel of Christ. Many will have had some religious involvement. They will have even been active in ministry, even excited about spiritual things. And I have many scripture passages to support all that I'm telling you. There will even be people in hell who had conviction of sin. Who even have some false assurance of salvation and were even able to point to a time of decision. Now, indeed, these things neither prove nor disprove the validity of one's faith, but you cannot rely on those things alone. Beloved, the fruits which validate true, genuine saving faith, according to the scripture, would be things such as, first of all, repentance from sin, where you enter through the narrow gate, as I've described, and begin to manifest a transformed life. Or you're a new creature in Christ and the old things pass away and the new things come and people can actually see a person living out a new mind and a new heart and hear a new song and they begin to bear the fruit of righteousness. It will be indicative of these people to be separate from the world. They will have a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness. You will see them living a life of obedience and humility. You will see a true believer having an increased hatred of sin. And a decreased evidence of it in their life. You will also see in these people an increasing love of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will love to hear His voice, and that will be the number one priority in their life. They will have, in other words, an appetite for Scripture, resulting in measurable spiritual growth. According to the Word of God, the fruit that validates genuine saving faith will also include the enjoyment of the Lord. As a person walks with him, it will include a person who loves to have sweet communion and prayer with the Lord. It will also be a person who has a passionate love for God, a selfless love for others, a love for the brethren and a consuming desire to give him glory and a longing to see him face to face. You see, friends, these will be the traveling companions of pilgrims on the narrow way who have entered through the narrow gate. And I know so many people that are in churches where their fellow members manifest hardly any of what I've just described. And my heart breaks because they're in a crowd, not a church. They have not entered through the narrow gate. Beloved, I ask you to examine your heart. Have you entered that narrow gate, or are you in? Did you come through the wide one? Are you on the narrow way or on the broad way? Are you part of the few or part of the many? Your eternal destiny is at stake. I close with a doxology that came from my heart as. I finished just thinking through the implications of this incredible text. "'Twas by your love that I did see that narrow gate of Calvary. "'Twas by your grace that thou didst save this sinner from the world's Broadway. And now with joy I run the race and seek the prize of your dear face. Oh, what bliss I now await." Thank you for the narrow gate. Let's pray together. Father, again, we are humbled at the clarity of your word, and yet we're overwhelmed with the way it has been maligned and rejected and distorted. And Lord, even though you've made it clear that this will be indicative of the latter days, in this Laodicean age, Lord, still our heart breaks because so many of us have friends and loved ones who have entered through a wide gate and are convinced because of so many erroneous things that they're going to see You. So Lord, I would plead with You as Your servant that You would give us a consuming passion to preach the true gospel of Christ as offensive as it will be. And all along, we know that as we unleash the gospel, it is indeed the power of God unto salvation. Lord, I pray that you will pour out your spirit of conviction upon many. And if there be one here today that knows nothing of your saving grace, oh Lord, would that you overwhelm them with their sin. And may they cast themselves at the foot of the cross. And by your grace, enter through that narrow gate. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his precious sake. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to pastor, Bible teacher, and author, David Harrell. For more information or to order additional tapes or CDs of Pastor Harrell's messages, please visit cvctn.org or call 615 615- 615 746-0113.